Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. We're on the Compliance Podcast Network and I'm Mary Shirley. Today we're pleased to introduce this week's guest, Selena Evans. Selena has just started a fantastic new role at Walgreens. And so on behalf of the Gwick family, we congratulate her on that success and welcome Selena to the show. Please tell us about yourself. Uh, thank you, Mary. I'm so excited to be here on Great Women in Compliance. I love what you and, and Lisa are doing, so I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it today. Um, as you mentioned, I just started a brand new role at Walgreens, and I'm very excited to be a part of a team there that um, it has a bunch of other great women in compliance as well working there. Um, it, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm a litigator by background. Um, and then stepped into my compliance role about four years ago and have been enjoying it ever since. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that. And so uh, as we've all been through one heck of a storm recently and the world is in uh, an interesting but evolving place, what do you think are some of the compliance risks um, that are topical right now for compliance officers? Well, you know, Mary, I think you just really um, hit the nail on the head with introducing that question. I think that um, all of the, um, you know, change and shifts in in both business structures in response to COVID, um, as well Mm -hmm. as in response to public expectations for for companies in terms of values and in terms of of leadership and social spaces um, are really are really interesting places to be a part of. In terms of the risk, I think I think that when you see these big monumental shifts in corporate America, um, being able to align compliance advice with the speed of business when we're under mm-hmm. when we're undergoing a big transformation is is really challenging. Uh, you know, you see so many companies just revamping their business model, addressing things different. The move to virtual, mm-hmm. all of these things require compliance guidance. And, and it's, it's tough, you know, we talk about compliance resources, um, mm. you know, and, and needing more support. So I think it's a really challenging and really exciting time to be in compliance, um, to be able to support recovery and, and growth amidst mm-hmm. all of this uncertainty in the, in the um, landscape at large. Wonderful. You were inspired to create a group within your company called Brave Space, which is an award-winning endeavor. Will you tell us about how that came about and the effect it has had um, internally on the the team at AbbVie, which I believe is where you were when you created uh, that group? Yes, yes. Brave Space was was um, an amazing an amazing uh, team and group, and I was thrilled to be a part of it. You know, it started in the wake of George Floyd's murder, mm-hmm. and um, you know, my my team and I got together, and we were really struggling with how to process all of this uh, social unrest and mm-hmm. and all of these things that that we were all you know collectively experiencing in the news. And so we just started talking, and we were you know saying that it was a safe space, and we. Um, you know, started inviting more people to our group because a lot of people mm-hmm. weren't talking about it at work at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we we built on that and and shared and grieved and um, and tried to uh, talk through some of the more difficult issues. 
And, and we very quickly realized that it wasn't a very safe space to talk about race and racial justice, um, at, at certainly at work or at mm. all. Um, and so we started calling it Brave Space. And we started um, thinking about addressing these difficult conversations as our life and work worlds are increasingly more blurred. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about um, asking African-American people to come to work um, when they when they see all of this social unrest directed towards Black people in the community, like to be able to separate that is really difficult. So having a place where to be able to discuss those issues, mm-hmm. um, I think has been really powerful and really a, a tremendous learning experience for, for me. Like that's mm-hmm. been a big part of it is being transparent with my educational journey um, mm-hmm. on these issues. I, I learn every time we we invite a group of people, we probably have about 250 people in the Brave Space community now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we now host um, monthly, about monthly um, sessions where we, mm-hmm. where we pick a topic and, and discuss it at, at, at length and um, and provide some some knowledge. And then we discuss it amongst a crew. And that discussion is really rich and robust. And I think really cathartic for a lot of our a lot of our colleagues. Mm, some really interesting points there. And I, I'd never thought on this until you'd mentioned it, you know, there's that um, old sort of adage about if you're in the office or on a first date, you don't talk about religion or politics. But the unspoken topic that we should add there probably is race, race issues, race relations, um, discrimination, um, and disproportionate hardship and and suffering. Um, we, We traditionally have not been uh, very open and transparent about that. And I think seeing you as a compliance professional leading the way, we we are supposed to symbolize transparency and we value it for the efficacy of our jobs. So um, to open up that conversation, I think was brave, but also um, was a, a wonderful turning point and necessary in compliance because you also mentioned the blurring of lines between um work and personal life and in compliance right under our very eyes we're seeing the evolution I think of the compliance function compliance subject matter when it comes to issues like this and it makes sense because a lot of these things are reputational risk right like if we have a person um, calling the police on a person of color for doing nothing wrong and that hits the news and it becomes obvious where that person works a lot of companies are not going to be going to want to be associated or, or have that type of person be an ambassador for their company because it it likely doesn't represent the company's values. And so this intermingling of um, business um, versus life outside of work, I think, is um, really significant in terms of us seeing compliance. Uh, change around us and then it's important for us as compliance officers to jump on that change recognize that we need to own part of that ourselves and I think that's exactly what you've done with Brave Space is stand up and say oh this is something new and it's something different but that's not going to stop me from from giving it a try. Yeah it was you know you raised some really good points I think um you know, James Baldwin, I'm going to botch this quote because I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, (laughs) but he said, 
said, like, you know, nothing can be um, changed until until we face it. And until mm-hmm. we're able to talk about these things, it's really hard to be able to move through them um, mindfully. And so to be able to create like a, a shared dialogue and a way of talking about these things at, at work, I think is is really important. And, and as compliance professionals, you know, most of us are in these groups like the Office of Ethics and Compliance is, you know, is in is in my title. And I, you know, you are the, the head of integrity. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it's really critical, particularly um, that with the evolution of, of um, you know, the, the social landscape and having expectations on companies to step up to the table here, mm-hmm. for us to really lean into the ethics portion of mm-hmm. our job. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of times we can get, you know, very focused on like systems and, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in life sciences, we focus very much on, you know, anti-kickback risk mm-hmm. or FCPA. But I think that leaning into the ethics part of our job at this particular point in history is really mm-hmm. critical. And I just love seeing um, all of our colleagues across um, compliance really, really doing that. I, I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's a tremendous value to society and, mm-hmm. and to the companies uh, for for which we work. Mm, I think it gives us purpose as well, right? Like to be able to get fulfillment and enjoyment from your job. Um, it would be awful if our fulfillment was, oh yeah, I like brandishing a stick and making people follow rules. That's not incredibly fulfilling. I would suggest for many people, I will admit maybe for some, um, but the ethics, um, that's how you can really hook people a, a purpose and meaning making a difference, making a a positive difference, um, advocating for positive change. Um, I, I agree with you seeing people lean into that. And I think there, there, there are a few people who believe that FCPA type stuff should only be the rules-based side and the ethics doesn't come into it at all. But I suspect those people are few and far between these days. Certainly hope so. I certainly, you know, I feel like we've definitely trended away from that in our business, in, in, you know, the compliance um, business structure as a whole, because, you know, you think about the evolution of compliance is a relatively new profession. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the evolution of where we've gone, um, you know, we started with a very rules-based system, sort of like bent around like criminal justice. Like we mm-hmm. tell you the rules and we expect you to follow them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't follow them, you will um, have some consequences. And and the problem is, is that we're dealing with humans, mm-hmm. always dealing with humans. So mm-hmm. understanding the behavioral psychology of the decisions mm-hmm. that we make, understanding unintended consequences of the rules mm-hmm. that we create mm-hmm. um, and, and fostering that, that, um, that spirit of, of ethics and integrity is, is more critical than ever. And it's more well-recognized than ever, you know, mm-hmm. where it seems to me that we're taking a lot of really great concepts from behavioral psychology, mm-hmm. um, and pulling them into compliance space with, with great impact. Mm, I totally agree. That's one of my hot areas of interest. And I, um, love seeing when someone puts on a webinar about this type of thing, the brain science, you know, I jump on signing up. And I really think that is one of the, the tools of our future, along with data analytics um, for the, the short to medium term for us in compliance. Indeed, I agree. What's your advice for any of our listeners inspired to work on a, a similar initiative? I assume that uh, you didn't need a great big budget or um, a lot of huge organizational logistics. Um, it was something that you were able to put together um, fairly promptly to suit the, the response needed. 
Yeah, it was it was definitely a grassroots effort. So it was just a, a collective group of people across all different functions. You know, we did have a um, a few wonderful compliance professionals on it on it with us. Um, you know, my um, my teammate and and friend um, help was really the spark for the idea behind having the conversations um, before you know before George Floyd was murdered. Actually, we started talking about having. Um, you know, conversations about small talk and talking about how, you know, my, microaggressions, as we as we call them, actually have tremendous impact. And, and so it was very grassroots. We didn't really ask permission. We were a little bit scared at first that somebody was going to be like, you guys can't talk about this tough stuff at work. Um, but we found a way, you know, within our policies to be able to make it happen. And, you know, true to our leadership credit at the time, like they, it was celebrated and, you know, leadership had a great presence on these calls. And I, I was tremendously proud of how AbbVie embraced it. And we've, you know, partnered with our ERG groups and those kinds of things. So I, I think that my advice to people who, who want to start it is just start. There's really no wrong way in. It just, it takes a great deal of vulnerability um, and kind of setting the stage for acknowledging that mistakes will be made and, you know, that we're all learning together um, has been really critical to, to our group's success. And then we also pull from different areas and different people present on on different topics. Um, And so I think that there's many, many different ways um, to do these brave spaces. And when we create our content, we encourage all of the people who who come, uh, we put our content on a shared drive and we encourage people to go out and and have their own brave space conversations and use use the content that's been created to to pull that through into their functions. And so groups have been doing it very differently in different in different groups within our organization and really successfully. So it's it's really fun to watch. Did you find that it was useful to set any ground rules at the beginning? So things like this is a non-judgmental space and we're here to learn together. Um, you will not be punished for anything that you're saying. Did, did you do anything like that? Uh, we, well, we have not said that you won't be punished for anything. Okay. That you, would be saying, yep. you know, because obviously if there is like an ethics violation or something like that during, during a company activity, we would, we would have a little bit of a problem. Mm. Um, but, but we do definitely set the ground rules. Um, and, and every time we start, I give some version of, of what I had said earlier about, mm-hmm. you know, we started with safe space and this became brave space because this is tough and this is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and discussing these issues is, is really challenging. So just try to embrace that to the best you can listen. If you, if you mm-hmm. don't want to talk, that is a hundred percent fine and still mm-hmm. very valuable for people to just mm-hmm. hear other people talking about these topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that it is a place of respect and that, you know, no um, inflammatory sort of, uh, like we want to be provocative, but not inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we do that. We do that on every episode. And I think that people have really respected that and have really brought their, their full selves to the conversations. It's been, it's been really rewarding. Excellent. Well, now I have high expectations of you and uh, good ideas. What is something that you're hoping to uh, introduce in your compliance program this year, an initiative that you're really excited about? 
Well, it's, it's a little bit tough to say because I, you know, I'm going into this new role at Walgreens. Um, and so I, I feel very strongly as a compliance professional that, that the understanding of the business is really critical. You know, if you don't really understand um, the ways that the business works and the things that drive activity within the business, then you may you know, create compliance controls that are overbearing or that have unintended consequences or um, that are that are not addressing the risk the way you might think. So my journey for a while, um, as I as I start this new path, is, is going to be to learn the business. So, and that's what I'm most excited about because it is it is a different business for me. Um, so I'm excited to dig in with my colleagues, um, and and that'll be that'll be a big a big piece of it. And the other piece is this is what we have talked about around um, leaning into ethics and and trying to innovate around around the space that um, the Office of Ethics and Compliance plays um, in in our ethical framework and um, and the way that we're approaching um, you know big big conversations. Walgreens has been an amazing uh, contributor to our healthcare landscape in terms of the COVID vaccines. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to be involved in in that process as well. Lovely. Well, I can't wait to see uh, what you do next. We've just been speaking about new ideas, but sometimes innovation comes with a downside. I saw a post on social media recently about how taxis don't like rideshare apps and other similar examples of the old being displaced by the new. And I'd like for us to take some time exploring how we can overcome negative reactions to innovation and compliance in a couple of different areas. The first being how disruption and new ideas necessitate change management and other techniques to successfully bring in a new dawn. And I think one of the things to be conscious of um, is that when you look at it, it's most negative. Um, a new person coming into a well-established, um, long-in-the-tooth team who's like, oh, I've got this great new idea. We can change this. We can make this better. I can improve this. Um, it's really easy to get excited about all the things that you think you can do. But it may be that the old guard who is standing there watching all of your enthusiasm and new ideas are reacting in a negative way. First off, they may be um, upset that the implication is the way that they've been doing things. Their standard of work is not good enough and is being criticized. Uh, they may also feel like, whoa, who's this new person coming in showing me up? I've just been cruising in my role and suddenly this person comes in with potentially higher standards, better ideas, and now I look crappy next to them. So I'm going to react in a negative way to that. What are your experiences with the change management and, and other techniques to improve a, a compliance program? And how do you um, navigate some of the difficult political waters that, that this type of innovation may bring about? Yeah, it's such it's such a good question, and I, I feel like we could um, you know talk about this for for hours. Um, I, I think that I think that there's a bunch of things at play. I think that compliance professionals and lawyers, um, you know, as as a group, not to stereotype all of us, but I think as a group we tend to be um, risk averse and and 
a very comfortable place to be is to be if if you're you know if the waters are calm to continue on the path that you're on and and i think um i think that and it's not just compliance company big companies are like this too it's um mm-hmm. it's the it's the path of least resistance it's right. uh, you know things are working don't don't um tweak it if it if it isn't broken mm-hmm. um and so i you know i i worked some with um, some innovation colleagues, um, both within um, within pharmaceuticals and also out, outside um, innovative thought leaders in in their world. And I think that what I what I feel is really, really important is very gently making the case for change. I think that um, that going through and structuring your argument about what needs to be improved um, in a way that includes, everyone in the process and creates like a share a, a shared vision um, for for where you want to be is really critical to the process and it's a lot of work there's a lot of you know um, learning and information gathering and um, you know listening sessions and um, and speaking to different stakeholders in in different ways and in different contexts to to inform that vision um, I think that pulling on external, learnings and resources has been helpful in, in shaping those things going forward. I'm, I'm definitely known for, for plopping an HBR article um, (laughs) into into my compliance (laughs) presentations to say, Hey, like, here's a great lesson from outside of compliance that Mm -hmm. we can apply here in these Mm -hmm. ways. Um, And, and I think that that, that that has been helpful in sort of ushering in change. But I, um, I, I think that, being really thoughtful and strategic about how and when you include your business partners and your stakeholders in the process for um, maximum interest and adoption is mm. is really important to like again cultivate that shared vision and that's that has, to me is the is the path for success. It, it's just it's a lot more work than just saying hey I have an idea and I'm just gonna you know come <laughs> in and change things. Mm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and I, I guess one thing that I would add would be um, if you're having to poop on someone else's existing process or idea, um, acknowledge that um, someone has already put in place something. And instead of saying, I want to make this better, so I would love to leverage off um, this existing platform, which has has served us so well. Um, and here's my idea for how we can build on that further. Um, as a way to acknowledge the work that's already been done by colleagues. And sometimes you may need to dig around to find out if you're new to the team um, and uh, that can help you avoid any snafus, any um, foot and mouth situations where you talk about how um, maybe the new hire training absolutely stinks. And then turns out the person sitting next to you is the one that created that training. So doing a little bit of work in advance and finding out who might be emotionally attached to certain things and why um, before uh, thinking about your angle and your approach can be helpful too. I love that build. And, you know, and it's a really, it's a really, really good point, Mary, um, to seek out who your influencers are Mm. on a particular topic Mm -hmm. and engage them. And, and it's, it's sometimes hard to figure out who those, who those people are. And they might Mm be um, surprised individuals who might surprise you in terms Mm -hmm. of like, moving things forward and ushering things forward. So, so connecting with those people who can influence the, the outcome and generate interest 
um, mm. is, is really, really important. I, and, and build, and that helps you build upon something mm-hmm. that has been, has been done. I also think that we all need to, um, and myself included, mm-hmm. um, be, be a little more cool with everybody building on our ideas. And, <laughs> yes, you know, such a great point. I think there's a very natural human tendency to be like, you know, this is my baby. Like I built this. This is, yeah. you know, um, I, there was a lot of time and hard work that, that mm-hmm. has gone into this. But the mm-hmm. reality of business is that things always evolve and always change as we get more information, as we view things differently. And, and that's kind of the beauty of, of innovation and change. And it I doesn't that. always have to be huge you can like you can innovate in very small mm-hmm. ways that can have really nice impact too. So I think mm-hmm. that that if you talk about something as being innovative, um, people kind of you know think that it's this big monstrous overhaul of everything, and and sometimes it's just small um, small steps that are outside of what you would normally um, think of as a solution in in a particular area that that allow you to really grow and have some tremendous impact. Yeah, I love that. So if on the other hand, we were all just a little open and receptive to some teamwork and acknowledging that one brain is good, but two brains is going to have a a better outcome and and solution, then naturally someone's going to be able to build on your idea. So we take that as being an intended effect of what happens when you get more than one person in a room. So thinking about a great woman in compliance mindset, that would be celebrating the fact that someone else wants to, to build on an idea that you already have or wants to make the, the team that you work in even more successful. And collectively, um, you know, in, in compliance, the more that we can do to better our reputation with our colleagues, that that's better for all of us. That's when all of our boats rise. So I love that switch around. And I also love the... Um, Harvard Business Review, um, I am quite careful with how I spend my money on subscriptions. Um, Pre-COVID, I've always been a big fan of libraries. Libraries are, um, I think, one of the most beautiful inventions, especially for introverts. Um, Ever since I was a child, I have really indulged in the the beauty of the idea of, of the, the borrowing system and, and sharing resources in such a way. Um, and so HBR is one of the only subscriptions that I pay full price for um, and really think it's good value. And I haven't, I don't think I have to date um, taken an article and used it to back up um, a point that I wish to make, but that's something I want to, to think on more as to how to, to leverage that because as you say, and having an objective third party come in just makes it seem, you know, less emotional, more obviously we should do this because an expert, not just, you know, Mary from two offices down is suggesting this. Um, uh, so I, I love that idea. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. It, you know, it is, it helps, um, it helps with inspiration and mind mapping around innovation. Mm-hmm. Like I'll very often just search the archive and come up with mm-hmm. an article and start bulleting, you know, points that I think mm-hmm. would be, would be important. I, I, I really like using it as a tool and, um, and, you know, it's almost like having a consultant come and join you yeah. for a much less expensive price. You know, I, I love my consultants certainly, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> doing a little bit of that on our own is, is also good. Love it. Thank you for that. And to, to wrap up my uh, questions for you for today, the um, next one is what's the best advice a mentor has ever given you? Oh, 
This is such a hard question because I, I have tremendous mentors in my life. I am, I've been very, very blessed. Um, you included in that, Mary, certainly. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I and I do. I think that mentor advice is is often very situational. So in response to a challenge, mm, um, so even even just trying to think through what the best advice mm. I've gotten is a little <laughs> bit challenging because I feel like mm-hmm. they're so context specific. Mm-hmm. But I think um, very recently in in discussing um, in with two separate mentors that kind of um, are coming together in one hopefully um, <laughs> coherent thought um, is is both the the um, importance of reflection mm-hmm. and the importance of really, um, you know, coming in and and looking back on on what you have done and successes and learnings, um, both in terms of your career, in terms of projects, in terms of relationships. All of those things are, are really important, and and to then correspond that that reflection uh, to a. Um, strategic and thoughtful plan with what mm. your best next steps are, um, mm. is, is a really, it's been a different, a little bit of a perspective shift for me, um, mm. in, in how I do things and applying that sort of like strategic reflective viewpoint to, to more than just a project or more than just, you know, um, a certain, a certain topic. Um, and it has really enabled me to do what my other mentor t- encouraged me to do is to not be afraid to ask for what I need to be successful. Mm-hmm. So it, that that has been also a perspective shift. Instead of saying, here's where my problems are, re- reframing it as here's what I need to do what I think we can accomplish here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been trying to come at things um, more from, from that lens. And, and I think it's been pretty powerful. And I think that it helps other people see the vision of what you, of what you mm-hmm. want to do. Um, so, so those would be two that come, that come top of mind. I love that asset-based approach, not of like, oh my goodness, this is what is bugging me and holding me down. But like, uh, I have a solution. This is the way forward. I need these resources to do that. Pony up and on I'll go. So wonderful. Great advice. And um, I just wanted to wrap up today's episode with um, a little uh, FCPA learning. Um, So last year, one of the top three FCPA cases was Goldman Sachs. And one of the learnings that we got out of that was that siloed compliance functions um, are not the, the best way forward. And they're really hard to to prevent in some instances. Um, For me personally, I work in a very large compliance function. I think we have almost 200 people. And some of you listening are going to go, wow, that's heaps. And some of you are sitting there going, that's nothing. Um, And uh, the the Goldman Sachs case taught us that we need to be more conscious about our um, cross-department collaboration and compliance and make sure that we share the information we have And why I think this is particularly important is that a lot of the time our financial controls, our compliance controls are centralized, meaning that at the headquarters level, we've developed a handbook with those controls and then we cascade them down to each business unit, each country and so on, meaning that if there is an issue that arises in an investigation or uh, an audit, um, if you respond to that issue in terms of remediating just for that business unit, you're missing an opportunity with all of your other areas that likely are susceptible to this control being circumvented. Because if it was circumvented in one place, 
it's likely that it's going to be weak in another place as well. So my question to you to, to wrap us up for today is, have you established a mechanism for ensuring that learnings that you get, gaps that you've identified, issues that you've come across in one area are being effectively addressed in multiple areas of your business? And I think we should be doing this. I, I believe that the... Um, the, the US government expects us um, to be considering where are our lessons learned? How have we taken incidents that have happened um, in the company before and fixed the problem, not just from an instant response perspective to the issue at hand, but from a systemic perspective? I, I think that for me um, comes out of the latest guidance as something that we should be focusing on and the Goldman Sachs case just re-emphasizes that for us. So with that thought in mind, um, I wish to thank Selena so much for her time and her thoughts today and sharing the Brave Space initiative. I think it's awesome. And uh, we wish you all the very best in your new role ahead. Thank you so much, Mary, for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. 